0: This Is the Santina Jackson show
1: and hate to a place of love? It's not too late. Gotta save the children, we can't wait. Let's change the world. I am grieving for all the people.
2: It's a joy to be with you today. Okay, getting a little bit of feedback, going to work that out. I can't wait to speak with Dr. Willie Wilson and Alderman Sophia King today in the second hour of the show. And in the first hour, we will be talking with Dr. David Gibbs from the University of Arizona about what's happening in Ukraine. Our president went to Ukraine, um, historic. Our president has never, a president of the United States, has never gone into an active war zone um and he had a speech in Poland and so did uh, President Putin and so there was just a lot to talk about just where are we what is really going on and is there a pathway to peace as increasing numbers of Democrats and Republicans are asking for such this is not just a right-wing issue where people are saying hey we we have got a real mess in East Palestine or East Palestine depending upon whom you speak to, Ohio and it's Spreading throughout, not just uh, that area, but just in the region, because it involves Ohio and Pennsylvania. And we will just see what's going on there. They need more than a million dollars from a $53 billion company. (laughs) So we've got to talk about that. Now they've got to set up a health clinic because people are sick. Wildlife are dying. Farmland, which is what we do in this part of the country has been polluted for how long? We're going to be talking about that as we go forward during the days. But we got this mayoral election that comes up on Tuesday. You can vote in all 50 wards. Everyone, please get out and vote. Get out and vote. The voter interest has been high think just a couple of days ago, only 2,500 people plus had voted four years ago at this point in the race. Now more than 40,000, and that was just days ago. So people are very engaged in this race, which is why we have sought to uh, have just about everybody on. And so I'm reaching out to Mayor Lightfoot. I've done that and reached out to Congressman Garcia. And uh, Brandon Johnson, Commissioner Johnson, we will have him. He's already consented. And so I'm just, I am just just have three more to get so that you can hear uh, what they have to say. We thank Mr. Vallis for extending his time. And he. I did something unusual yesterday. Uh, I have generally given I have given each one of these candidates 30 minutes. But because of your demand, because of the questions that you wanted to ask, because he's been in public life so long, he ended up staying with me for 90 minutes. An hour on air, 30 more minutes off air. And so that was very unusual. But, you know, you really do have the control here. That's what I try to let you all know. You all have the power. You have the power. So uh, let's talk with Alderman Sophia King today. Um, She says she wants to she wants to represent more than the segregated parts of the of Chicago. Indeed, Chicago, on paper, has been the most segregated big city in the United States. And we want to talk with uh, Willie Wilson about law and order and the connection between that and the murder of his son nearly 30 years ago. Mm. So let's get right to it, everybody, on the Santita Jackson show. We have got... Boy, oh, boy, it has been an active, active time. We are praying for our brothers and sisters at AM 950 Radio in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Of course, I'm coming to you. My home base is WCPT-820 here in Chicago, the largest progressive talk radio station. But the voice of Minnesota, progressive Minnesota, they are Chad Larson and all my brothers and sisters up there, Gary Hines and. Reverend uh, Spike and Reverend McAfee, all these people, they are looking at two feet of snow in Minneapolis-St. Paul alone. That's right, 35 degrees and rain here in Chicago, but a winter storm warning. It has been snowing for the past couple of days. By the time it's all over, they expect to have at least two feet of snow in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Let's pray for them, everybody. The all-Star break is not over yet in NBA basketball, but perhaps on Friday night the Timberwolves will be facing the Hornets. We don't know. Certainly, the Nets will be facing the Bulls. In the NHL, Chicago 3, the Golden Knights 2, and uh, the Wild 2 and the Kings 1. Great night for the Chicago and Minneapolis teams. In the headlines, the headlines that you might not see, uh, California, State, California U.S. Representative Barbara Lee is has thrown her hat into the ring. She will be running for Diane Feinstein's seat. Virginia has elected its first African-American woman to the U.S. House of Representatives, State Senator Jennifer McClellan. Congratulations to her by an overwhelming margin, 68 to 32%. And Malcolm X's daughters, Tabila and Ilyasa will be suing the FBI, uh, the CIA, the New York Police Department for $100 million for their role in the death of their father. I am going to reach out to them and seek to get them on uh, because I'm so glad that they're going to do that because all of these entities and more were involved in the assassination of that great man. So those are just a few of the headlines on the Santita Jackson show. We have got with us today Pastor Marshall Hatch founder at the Coco Wellness Pro- Project, of course, the new Mount Pilgrim Baptist Church here in Chicago, Illinois. We need some good news today. I'm so glad that you're here to give it to us. What's the good news, Pastor Hatch?
3: Good morning, San Peter, and good morning to the radio audience. At the top of the morning with the few days that we have left with African American History Month, of course, every day is African American history because... African-American history is simply history. And so uh, I wanted to just honor one of the ancestors, Dolores S. Williams is her name. She just passed away in November of last year. A womanist theologian uh, who has given us the, you know, challenged us in a way of reading the scripture by hearing the voices that we often overlook. And so one of the patron saints of the woman is the theologian is a woman by the name of Haggai in the Old Testament, and her son Ishmael, Hagar the slave. And so I'm gonna just talk about her story briefly And uh, this is from my devotional that I do for 40 days, and this one is called Seeing the God Who Sees Me, which is the story of Hagar in honor of Dr. Dolores Williams, the woman theologian. And so here's Hagar's story. Hagar the slave and her son Ishmael may not be important to others, but clearly Hagar and her son are important to God. Others may not see Hagar's pain and And Ishmael's predicament, but God does. God always notices people that others overlook. It seems that Hagar is not a central part of this story. This story looks to be just a story about Abraham and Sarah. They're the central characters for the scribes. But in the middle of the story we hear from Hagar, she is the slave woman who receives a promise from the Lord in the midst of being mistreated by Abraham and Sarah. When God sees Hagar and gives her son Ishmael the prophecy of a promising future, Hey, God names God in a way that no one else does in scripture. She calls God, a God who sees me. He says, I looked for God only to discover that God was looking at me too. Beloved, always know that you are not forgotten by God. God sees you too. God sees your struggle God sees how you're treated by others who have abused their power over you. Every time we look at Jesus on the cross, we are reminded that God identifies with everyone who has been overlooked by others. Your confidence is restored every time you look for God. And are reminded that God has never taken God's eye off of you. If God watched over Hagar and Ishmael in the midst of a story that was not even about them, rest assured that the Heavenly Father is watching over you as well. Bless God, seeing the God who sees me. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. I needed that this morning, and I know someone else needed that this morning. God sees you. You are never alone. God neither sleeps nor slumbers. You are not alone. God sees you. Thank you for that. Today we needed that. We needed that. How can we worship with you on Sunday, Pastor?
3: We're at the New Mount Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago, Missionary Baptist. That's 4301 West Washington Boulevard on the Great West Side of Chicago in Sankofa Village of West Garfield Park.
2: Wellness. <laughs> Wellness. Wellness is the goal in Sankofa. And we just thank God for you uh, to be well personally and for the village to become well and for the country, for the world to become well. Indeed, that is where we would go if we were but change our thoughts. Love you so much. Give my love to the First Lady Amen. and to be you. your wonderful family. I just. Love your family. They're wonderful, wonderful people, which is such a reflection
3: of you and your wife. God bless you. God bless. Have a great day.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for that word. Wow. The God who sees me. Everybody, we have got Dr. Shanina an infection preventionist, with us today. And um, we have been talking about these environmental disasters that... Are occurring all around us, but so they're not getting a lot of publicity. And certainly what's happening in East Palestine, or East Palestine, um, Ohio, and I have to think of it biblically, I think that's why I just continue to call it Palestine. Uh, it, is, it is a story that should be getting much, 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 much more uh, traction. It should be getting much, much, much more publicity than it's getting. Uh, many people are calling it the Chernobyl of the United States. It is that profound an issue. And the people of East Palestine do not feel uh, that they're being paid adequate attention. Uh, Think about it. Uh, Norfolk Southern, the company uh, whose trains derailed and they were carrying the chemicals that spilled all over, not just East Palestine, but throughout the region, Throughout the region, between two states, at the very least, and if you see the mushroom clouds when you look at the aerial uh, photographs, you see this is really massive, and it's really, really, this is bad. Uh, they've been told the EPA administrator and the governor of Ohio went and drank some water from the tap. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't do it. I'm telling you, Dr. Knighton, I wouldn't. E- I wouldn't even think about it. That water is not safe. There was. I was watching. Um, uh, Twitter, where so many of us get our news, and I get my news from a lot of different sources. This man said, "Let me tell you what's going on here." And he went to a creek, Doctor Knighton, and he stuck a pole. And the creek, the water looked pristine and clear. You could see straight to, you know, to the bottom. Just, you know, maybe not even, a, not even a maybe six, seven inches of water. But then he poked the soil, and this fizzing came up out of the soil. It was if they dropped the Alka-Seltzer, <clears throat> the water. And, you know, I oh, my gosh. I mean, do you, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, when you hear anecdotally, people are very scared and they're seeing a lot of things that are frightening to them. And so just drinking water from the tap, that's not it. That's, that's not it. What um, and there's now setting up. Clinics in the area because people have been complaining. They've been complaining of headaches, nausea. At the very least, one man even was on uh, was on social media. He said, "My skin is melting." Uh, you know who, who wants who would who would tell a falsehood about that? So, talk to me. What um, one of the things that these people are really too poor to move? What would you advise them to do? And quite frankly, most of us, you know, we're all uh, but a, you know, we are, we are a, a blink away from dealing with something like this ourselves. The railway system runs straight through the United States of America. They carry a third of our goods. Um, anything can happen anywhere at any time. What would you advise people to do if they are facing an environmental disaster? I know we talked about this yesterday, but I just think that it is so important that we know, um, that we kind of drill into our minds, Dr. Knighton, what it is that we need to be doing.
4: Good morning. So Santita, that's the thing that's always, I would say perplexing about anything. And that's the fact that we can always talk about what we would do until we're in that situation and then that's when things are different because things are different right when you're actively living something such as that so the problem is is like advice that i would give in some regard i still believe it comes from a place of privilege unfortunately you know and that When you tell somebody, like, hey, use bottled water for this, you think about those individuals that don't even have transportation. To even get around, to get out of the town, to be able to go to the next town, to be able to get the resources that they need, which makes this very challenging to tell somebody to clean their water, right? And long story short, or boil their water, but your water is, I mean, but the ground is fizzing up, right, which means that you potentially boiling the water means that it could potentially be putting more chemical fumes in the air, which could be making you more sicker. So in this particular instance, even when it comes to their water, I just, I don't have any recommendations to give, unfortunately. And I know that I'm always never at a loss for words, but it's like without truly understanding why the soil is fizzing, right? Without understanding why their water is burning esophagus of the individual and knowing though, knowing everyone knowing that those chemicals that was associated with that crash is, or that derailment is what's causing the issues, right? Or that explosion, however we choose to classify it, it's a tragedy. And that's the problem right there is that if we could say that, FEMA was approved, or individuals were approved, you know, to receive, let's say, these emergency funds and emergency resources, then I could assume that the water is there, bottled water is there for them to be able to take their medications, for them to make sure that they're rationing get out. But the sad part about it is, is, we can't even guarantee or can't even solidify if they have the basic necessities just for them to be able to hydrate it. And that's the passionate part about it. And so it makes it very challenging to talk about what they would do. But for those of us that are watching this with empathy, that can sympathize with it, because one day we recognize that, or at any point, we just as you mentioned, none of us are excluded or off limits from something like this happening. What do you do to prepare when you say, "What do you do to prepare?" is making sure that you do have, you know, water. I encourage people to keep water. I also encourage people. It sounds crazy, but um, keeping, you know, a heating plate or heat some sort, keeping some sort of dish with you know, the um, burning fires up under it, like the six hour shaping oil to be able to heat something up. If you have a fireplace, making sure that you're keeping wood. So there's things that you can do that are survival tactics in a situation of where you cannot move. And that is something that is likely for a people is that they cannot move out of their situation when they are in a situation such as this. We know that air travels. And so unfortunately, when you are dealing with toxic air, how do you handle that? And there's no easy way. You want to go tell someone like, Hey, well, maybe, you know, masking will help. I can't tell anyone that because in this particular instance, I'm sure some of those fumes have the capability to be able to see through. So it's a really tough situation to be in when someone let's say has a natural disaster. Um, or an emergency disaster, it affects different things. And so it's not a one size shoe fits all, but the one thing that one thing that we know for sure is food, shelter, and water and safety are the four things we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of living that are some of the most important essentials. And so how do you make sure that you answer those questions in a situation? of emergency, do I have food, shelter, water, water, and safety? And answering those questions as the four essentials is something that we should all be focusing on and thinking about, am I prepared to have these things if I was to face an emergency situation? Understanding tornadoes and things like that can threaten shelter. Do you have a backup plan? Um, is there a contingency plan with another family member should something like that happen that you know we are getting ready to go to? Um, does do people, do you have some sort of emergency response system where you and your loved ones are going to meet up in certain locations if something happens and everyone ends up displaced? So there's just really things that we need to think through that we tend to take for granted. Because we may think that we're exempt from some of these um, tragedies happening, but we're not. Similarly, just like I mentioned yesterday, Santita, with Warren, Ohio, there being a water boiler explosion. And then we turn around in Bedford, Ohio. I don't know what's going on with Ohio lately, Santita. I guess that's my point. But another explosion, Mm -hmm. um, at a plant in, um, at, at a metal, a metal plant. a metal plant, a boiling plant, and now we had this train all in Ohio literally within the last past month.
2: You know what? I mean, the American infrastructure, first of all, the braking system for our trains is 160 years old. It comes from the Civil War era. So there's that anyone who's been out the country or you just just go on in Google, go to YouTube and look at trains from outside of the United States. We have an antiquated system and it's not the fault of the workers. It's the fault of these corporations that make money hand over fist and they do no reinvestment in our country. They do no reinvestment in the railway system. They don't pay the workers enough and on and on and on. And now we have this mess. And you have a $53 billion company that's going to put $1 million, just a little bit over a million dollars into a fund for these thousands of people who've been impacted by this shame on you, Norfolk Southern shame on you and shame on us. If we don't fight back, you deserve much you not, you don't just deserve better. You deserve to be treated correctly, not better correctly. You deserve to be treated right. Think about that. Everybody, this is not right. One of these substances that has been pushed into the air causes liver cancer. And I can't hear that in corporate media. Shame on corporate media for underreporting this story and underreporting the danger facing this community. Mm, Let's talk about Ukraine when we come back on the Santita Jackson show. What's really happening there? Back in just a minute.
0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
1: Hey,
5: everybody. Welcome, welcome back to the
2: Santita Jackson Show. WCPTA 20, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio. The voice of progressive Minnesota up there in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chad Larson, and everyone. I'm thinking of you today. They are looking at two feet of snow. In Minneapolis, St. Paul alone, inches of ice. Oh, please pray for our brothers and sisters in Minneapolis, St. Paul. They needed, and so do we, because we are all but a second away from something like this happening to us, too. Uh, we have got Pearl, our girl, here, celebrations by us, but she has a big event coming up at the beginning of March. Uh, what's going on, Pearl?
5: Good morning, Santita, and yes, we are hosting our Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation Gala at uh, the JLM Community Center, and that's 2622 West Jackson in Chicago, and we're actually hosting our annual gala to raise funds for our college scholarship fund, so if you would like to come, please give us a. Um, Go to our website at www.copelandmemorial.com, com, and you can purchase your tickets there. If you can't personally attend, we're asking everyone to
4: please support the foundation by uh, inviting and purchasing a ticket for a,
5: a, a family who has lost a child. So please visit www.copelandmemorial.com. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much, Santita.
2: Oh, blessings to you. We have got Dr. David Gibbs, historian from the University of Arizona, who's been talking to us about uh, about Ukraine and about what got us into uh, this war. And um, and maybe Pathways of Peace, Rand, excuse me, not Rand Paul, but Ron Paul, uh, former Congressman Ron Paul, and former Congressman Dennis Kucinich, and... Uh, activists and citizens from the so-called right and the so-called left. Yes, I did say that because people's political affiliations or political beliefs are much more nuanced than Democrat and Republican. More and more Americans are calling themselves independent, and I get it. That having been said. They got together this weekend, thousands of them, on the Mall in Washington, D.C. They said, we don't want any no more blank checks to Ukraine. We have got things we've got to take care of here in the United States, and we need peace. So um, and now that we look up and our president was in Ukraine in an active war zone, hearing the sirens going off. Wow. And um, and he's digging in his heels. Whoa, Dr. David Gibbs, you got to help us to understand what we're looking at.
6: The situation is that, um, you know, the public is growing increasingly tired of the war. Polls show that very clearly you are getting declining support uh, for American engagement with this war and the costs it's imposing upon the economy and on people's living standards. And the fact that it doesn't seem to be headed towards any kind of resolution or with any even clear strategy. The public is getting tired of that. But at the political level, at the elite level, at the level of the media, you're not getting any real discussion or any debate. There seems to be an allergy to any kind of open debate. on this question, even about things like who blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, for example, in the Baltic Sea. And um, um, in the absence of that debate, you are starting to get finally some activity on the street, so to speak, in the form of this um, public gathering and demonstration in Washington, D.C., the Rage Against the War Machine, uh, which is a combination of sort of libertarian right-wing groups and traditional anti-war left-wing groups. It's a combination of both. Um, and I suspect this kind of anti-war activity is going to finally start to grow. It's been long overdue. We really haven't had any significant anti-war movement in this country in a long time. But I think there's going to rejuvenate an anti-war movement uh, here and also in Europe. We are starting to get elements, particularly in Germany, that are starting to raise questions about Germany's involvement in this war as well. So. This could be the start of a transatlantic anti-war movement, what you're seeing now. Um, I suppose one of the things that's very striking to me, I'll be honest, a little... If
2: if you don't mind, I'd like to to ask you something here, because when you listen to corporate media right now, uh, they say that basically they imply, and you have to infer, that the only people who want this conflict to end, or certainly our involvement in it to end are people who are the so-called far-right-wing MAGA voters, mm-hmm. uh, which is really disparaging to them. I'm like, well, they, these people have interests, and for them, uh, President Trump, former President Trump is a torchbearer of sorts, uh, But um, and they have the right to have that. But that's not. it's not that simple. It's not that simple. It's not just right-wingers. So please, you and I have been talking about this since the beginning of the
6: conflict in this now. This is just, well, that's right. we don't need I, you, Well, you do have a situation where, um, yes, you're getting both people on the left and on the right opposing the war. And it seems to be an effort by people like Rachel Maddow to sort of disparage this as just kind of a far right issue. That's really kind of a strange thing historically, because anti war historically has been a most uh, overwhelmingly left wing issue. And the idea that it's now being characterized as far-right just seems very strange to me, if one looks at it. It is nevertheless true that you do have people on the right, like Ron Paul, the most prominent of them, um, who are who clearly are anti-war. And so you do have what you have had since the end of the Cold War has been the emergence, for the first time in my lifetime, the emergence of an anti-war libertarian right wing, and that has merged with the anti-war left, and it is clearly both right now. I would have to say though that there are elements on the left that have been somewhat derelict on this issue. I'm thinking particularly of Amy Goodman and Democracy Now, which used to be very anti-war, and now they're giving hardly any coverage at all to this anti-war demonstration. And you know, Amy Goodman seems to be virtually indistinguishable from, you know, CNN or MSNBC or, you know, the mainstream media on this. Democracy Now is sort of lost a lot of its sort of anti-establishment credibility, particularly on this issue, I would say. Um, and so I, I think one of the things you have had, I have to say, um, I'm very disappointed in Bernie Sanders that he hasn't really taken a strong stand on this issue against war. He hasn't done that. Uh, the the squad, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, have not done so. And so clearly there is there is an issue here. Um you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm embarrassed about this, but I just listened to a speech by Donald Trump where he denounced what he called the warmongers and so on. And, you know, let me say, frankly, I don't like Donald Trump. I'll just get that on the table here. And it's sort of embarrassing to me that we have to hear that from Donald Trump. Why can't we hear that from somebody like Bernie Sanders or AOC? Um Anyway, I, I think I that there, there is a risk here. I mean, honestly, risk I, don't risk know. I don't know. I don't know what the gripe is with Russia.
2: I mean, I, I really don't, you guys. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. And, we, and the fact is, we change up, we change up uh, bad guys and bad girls all the time. Deborah is saying yeah. Putin must stop war crimes. Keep supporting Ukraine people. That's what we're doing. Or other countries will fall under more fascism around the free world. Stop MAGA and both sides. Um, please speak to that.
6: Well, there isn't a shred of evidence that Russia has intentions of invading any country beyond Ukraine. There's just isn't a shred of evidence of that. And, um, people have noted that the Russian military has underperformed here. Russia doesn't have the capability to invade any other countries. There isn't the slightest chance of Russia invading, you know, Poland or Moldova or, You know, the Baltic states, that's just a fantasy. And there's no evidence they want to, and they certainly don't have the capability to do so. So I I just think that's uh, that's a wildly overstated claim here. Um, This is basically an issue from Russia's standpoint of um, security about their borders. Countries are very worried about insecurity on their borders, and they're reacting. This doesn't justify anything, by the way, because... In spite of this, Russia should never have invaded. That was a terrible thing to do. But it is true. Had the United States faced a similar situation in Mexico, had Russia been setting up bases in Mexico, there is no doubt the United States would have been willing to use invasion as a response to that, that the history of the United States and the Caribbean region and Mexico leaves no doubt that the United States is perfectly ready to use military force against its neighbors when it sees sees the slightest threat. That is what Russia was doing um, in terms of invading Ukraine. Again, that doesn't justify it, but that just puts it in the context that that is what major powers do when they are threatened on their borders. And I think it was a very big mistake of the United States to have um, promoted that threat, which is what the United States did. That was totally unnecessary, and this whole war could have been avoided and should have been avoided.
2: Hmm. We're talking with Dr. David Gibbs about Ukraine. What, what about the president is digging in his heels? Do you know, Mark Hayes says, I'm not ready to get on the anti-war bandwagon, even though I do see the profit motive on both sides for the war. It's not. Russia's not making money off the war. They're not, Mark. We're making money off the war. And European countries are accusing the United States of being warmongers and war profiteers. That's our reputation in Europe now, which is part of the reason that the peace movement is about to take off in Europe, because they're growing tired of us, too, because they want. I mean, am I reading this incorrectly? This is what I've been reading in different press reports, Uh, Dr. Gibbs.
6: No, that's, that's my impression, is that you have a long overdue peace movement that is finally starting to emerge on both sides of the Atlantic. And I think it's inevitable, just given the fact that it's not only a foreign policy issue, it's a domestic issue. It is lowering living standards in the United States and even more in Europe and worldwide. Um, you know, it's raising food prices, including in very poor countries that, where a lot of people can't afford food. This has had a devastating effect on the whole world economy. Um, and the sooner we can end it, the better. And, uh, you know, there were peace talks, we now know. There were peace talks between Ukraine and Russia that were making a lot of progress and the United States and uh, Britain torpedoed them. We've heard that from multiple sources. Most recently, a former Israeli uh, prime minister who was involved in the mediation indicated that, uh, you know, outside countries, uh, almost certainly meaning the United States, uh, were opposed to these peace talks and sought to block them. And, um, you know, we could have had probably a peace settlement of this months ago, um, what we need now, basically, is, is some sort of compromise settlement, uh, if that can be achieved. And in any case, the United States needs to cease aid, cease military aid to Ukraine. Yes, that, that needs to be done, in my view.
2: Mm, well, you know, just what should we read in, in these last couple of minutes? What should we read into the president's trip? And what is the path forward? I mean, where is all of this going?
6: Well, the president's trip, I didn't really see anything, at least in the public record, indicating it was anything more than a kind of campaign-style stop to present the president of the United States in heroic terms to press adulation, which is what you had. Um, my guess, unfortunately, what I think this is very likely to—more likely than not, is going to be settled in the battlefield, because I think uh, the military situation probably does favor Russia. There's an artillery war, and they have overwhelming preponderance of artillery. They have far more artillery, not just than Ukraine, but than the United States has. And based on that, my my guess is that they're more likely than not to win on the battlefield. Um, now, that would be a very bad outcome, that they win on the battlefield. But I think that's the most likely outcome, because I think all well, uh, avenues to peace have been blocked. And I think the best thing the United States can do is simply to disengage, encourage the Ukrainians to salvage what they can.
2: You know what? I want you just in in the last couple of minutes here. TJ, um, he said, ask a guest to talk about the Budapest Memorandum where Ukraine gave up its Mm -hmm. nukes in exchange for Russia agreeing to never invade them. So, speak to that, please.
6: Well, they did. There's no doubt. Russia violated the Budapest Agreement. I think that was 1994, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in which, uh, this is part of a larger comprehensive deal, but yes, Russia agreed, uh, Ukraine agreed to give up its nuclear weapons, which, by the way, they didn't control. They were on Ukrainian territory, but the launch codes were still in Moscow. They had a centralized chain of command. Um, but they um, they did give up their nuclear weapons. They were dismantled. And um, Russia agreed not to invade the country. Uh, clearly, they violated that. I should add, Russia violated all sorts of international agreements against the use of force including the united nations charter there's no doubt it was an illegal invasion on the other hand that does not excuse the united states for provoking the invasion which is what the united states undoubtedly did does not excuse the united states from violating its agreement not to expand nato which the united states made in 1990 so it seems to me both sides here are at fault and i would say if any side is as a greater responsibility for this it was the united states because this all began with America's decision to violate its agreement, not to expand NATO, and expand it again and again and again and again needlessly, and it provoked a war. So um, neither side should be let off the hook here, in my view.
2: Hmm. Dr. David Gibbs. Well, you know, is there anything that's, that we should be looking out for over the next few days? Because um, I was hoping that peace would be on the horizon. And as you said, uh, there were, um, as has been reported, it's not just what you said, as has been reported, uh, there were peace negotiations that were meeting some success. Uh, but it was the United States and Great Britain who said, no, 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 scratch that. You all need to continue to fight. Mm, I think that's important because they had Boris Johnson, the former British prime minister on television last night, making that argument. You've got to continue to fight. Fight who and for what? Dr. Gibbs.
6: Well, I, what wa- the United States and Britain, as far as I can tell, has no real strategy here. There seems to be a fantasy that they can defeat Russia and that uh, Putin will be overthrown and put on trial, and uh, maybe the Russian Federation will break up. You know, we're talking about a country here that is 1,500 active nuclear warheads, and pushing Russia to that extent is an excellent chance that would lead to nuclear war and the obliteration of the human race. And there's nothing that is worth that risk, in my view. And it's extremely reckless that British leaders and American leaders are sort of, and, you know... Engaging that risk and willing to take it, they're gambling with everybody's lives on the planet here, and they have no right to do that. Um, I think that uh, what's ignored about this is Putin remains a popular leader. He has been since the year 2000 when he first came to power, very popular. I'm not sure he deserves that popularity, frankly, but nevertheless, he is popular, and all the indications point to the fact that he has had no significant erosion of his popularity. Uh, The United States is counting on the Russian economy to implode. I think that was the original strategy. And that's clearly failed. The Russian economy has not imploded. It's still very much functioning. And um, unfortunately, I think all the indications are, militarily, Russia is likely to be on track to win outright on the battlefield. Um, And, um, you know, that's a terrible outcome, and it should have been solved through diplomacy. But unfortunately... Uh, That door may have been closed several months ago. And so the outcome of this could very well be a a very bloody conclusion with a Russian victory. That that is the most likely scenario short of nuclear war, I would say.
2: Hmm. Dr. David Gibbs, Dr. David Gibbs, you know, I will have you back on, if not tomorrow, certainly the next day, because we need to continue to talk about this to see, because we spent $100 billion. We have. We have. We've committed that. And we just, and without even asking, we continue to give them more and more money. And the people of East Palestine, Ohio, yes, they are getting a million dollars plus from from a corporation worth $53 billion. Think about that, everybody. Think about it. It's not a false choice. We don't have endless money think about that. Dr. David Gibbs, thank you so much for being with us today. You know, we have got this mayoral election, and Dwight McKee wants to get a few words from you. Today, we're going to have Alderman Sophia King, she brought a lot of energy into this campaign, talking about wanting to serve Chicago, not just the segregated part. She has a holistic approach to crime and to schools. Um, And then Dr. Willie Wilson, who um, has deep roots in the black community, the cash giveaways, the gas giveaways. But more than that, uh, there's a great empathy that he has with, um, with the black community. And he has a real, a real, real constituency there. they you're gonna be our guest today. Uh and um so your thoughts about Alderman King first and then Dr. Wilson.
7: Morning. How are you?
2: Good morning. Uh,
7: Good I have positive thoughts about both of them. Uh I think that that uh Miss King is a breath of fresh air. Uh, are a little new to the game, and so she does not have a lot of the uh, skepticism or the um, the history that a lot of these politicians have. Uh, so she's not been a professional politician per se and seemed to have a real grasp of the issues. So I think that she has a, a real future. This This may not be a time, but I think she has a real future. In, uh in politics, Willie Wilson is a little more interesting in that he has so many resources and is, he is available uh, to run whatever he wants to run for. It's just that it's a little, uh, seems to be a little out of focus in terms of what he really wants to be and who he really wants to be when you run from one office to another office, people tend to take you a little less seriously, even with his resources. And so I'm hoping that, you know, at some levels, he kind of decides what he wants to become and focuses on that and invests his resources not just in what he wants to do, but I think he can be a tremendous power broker because of his resources, and identify those other politicians who have a real bright future and can make an impact and invest in, you know, in their careers. I think he can be as much of a power broker as he could be a candidate if, if he decides to go in that direction.
2: What do you think about his, his stance on the police? He, too, is a law and order candidate, just like Paul Ballas. Um, he wants to suspend the entrance exams for the Chicago police. Um, he wants to give them more space. You know, that is to say, if they make a mistake, they should not be held liable. You know, he said sometimes police officers make genuine mistakes. And I think to contextualize him, we have to uh, really do understand that his son was murdered, in 1995, so he suffered the heartbreak that um, that every it is every parent's worst nightmare and fear that something would happen to their child, and so I'm I'm sensitive to that. Uh, that having been said, he's taken a real tough stance with the police. Um, that is to say, be very very supportive. Uh, how will that play out? I've got about two minutes, Dwight. I think it's
7: terrifying. I think he gives the police carte blanche. And, you know, and I don't think that you could make your tragedy the policy of police force that tends to run amok when it's given that kind of latitude. And I think it's very, very, very dangerous. Uh, i like to see if he ties in any accountability for them uh, and his position on uh and its uh, position on the blue flu, which we've experienced, I think, for the last three or four years. He seemed to be so pro-police that he almost comes across the anti-community and it almost contradicts his position on pro-community because you have all a, a, a polarity going. You have this contradiction between um, the police force which tend to be very aggressive but particularly when it comes to communities of color and the community who seems to be victimized by those same police and so I think that you know I think that if he was not so anti police he'd have a much better relationship uh in terms of support from the black community. I like to see from Miss King her position not just on the police but on community development. Uh I like to know if she's to do a put a fee on merchant the, the the mercantile uh and the border trade and those resources that the uh, the majority community have taken advantage of over the years at the expense of people in the city, and they've had scot-free uh, opportunity to make money without recourse. I think it would help us with the property taxes. I think it would help us with education. I think it would help us with the pension funds. If you used to look at a trans uh, transaction fee or transaction tax, I realize like you know what a that position that, that is.
2: Well, you know, because many people don't even think about the Merck, the Mercantile Exchange, and uh, the um, Chicago Board of Trade, but they figure very prominently in our city. Indeed, it is really at the center of world finance, everybody. Dwight McKee, noted social scientist. And um, we're going to have Alderman. Sophia King, up in just a few minutes, and right after right after we speak with her, Dr. Willie Wilson. What will they say? What do they bring to this race? We'll see in a minute on the San Peter Jackson Show. We can change the world, change the world, change the
1: world. We can change the world, we can change the world.
0: This is the Santita Jackson
3: Show.
1: Hey,
2: everybody! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio the voice of progressive Minnesota, sending much love to our brothers and sisters at AM 950 Radio. As they look at Snowmageddon, 65 million people across the country are looking at harsh weather conditions. Indeed, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, you're expecting, uh, by the time this three-day snow event is over, up to two feet of snow. Wow. How many people will be snowed in? Will there be adequate resources to get you taken care of? Um, Certainly, um... We are playing for you today, and we just want you to get through this event. All 65 million of us, everybody. I'm Santita Jackson. We are days away from the election of a new mayor in Chicago. Will we have a winner on Tuesday, or will we have uh, a runoff on April 4th? Well, two of the people who would be mayor are with us today. I'll do woman Sophia King and Dr. Willie Wilson. They will be with us In just a couple of minutes. In Chicago, we'll have a high of 35 degrees rain today. Minneapolis, St. Paul, the winter storm, 23 degrees and snow. The NBA All Star break is not quite over yet, but on Friday, the Nets will be facing off against the Bulls and the Hornets will be facing off against the Timberwolves. In the NHL, Chicago 3, the Golden Knights 2, and the Wild 2, and the Kings 1. Aside from this snow event and the president still in Poland and in that part of Europe, Congresswoman Barbara Lee is running for the U.S. Senate. She has cast her hat in the ring. She is seeking to uh, seize the seat of retiring longtime Senator from California, Diane Feinstein, Virginia elected its first black woman to the U.S. House of Representatives, state senator Jennifer McClellan, by an overwhelming margin, 68 to 32 percent her Republican challenger. And Malcolm X's daughters, Yasa and Kabila Shabazz, are going to sue the FBI, the CIA and NY- NYPD. Among others for $100 million for their role in the assassination of Malcolm X. Those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson show. Everybody, you know, we are looking for, um, for real change, real change in, uh, in our financial system. We need the money. We need to be able to sell our homes. We need to be able to buy some homes. And I want you to reach out to Team Hofburg so that you can do just that. If you are selling your home or purchasing a new home and would like to save thousands of dollars, you need to call Team Hockbrook, your trusted local lender. They are offering their Perks at Work program. It's a benefit that's going to last through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars the next time you buy your home or sell your home. This is how it works. When a Team Hochberg-affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. That's thousands of dollars, everybody. When a Team Hochberg-affiliated realtor helps you to purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing credit, a closing cost credit. That's thousands of dollars. Team Hockwork will credit their loan origination fee and their affiliated attorney will reduce their fee. Thousands of dollars. There's one couple that actually saved close to $9,000 using this purchase work program when they sold their home and when they purchased a new one. That could be you, everybody. And I hope that it is. I want you to call them at 855 56 David, 855 56 David, or visit 56David.com. Look up the Perks at Work program. You can benefit. You can be a winner too in this housing market. I have someone with me today, someone for whom I have great admiration and respect. She has brought just freshness and really, a, a really a very genteel, excited to the race. Someone who appears to be the grown woman in the room, a mother, um, a grandmother, uh, a wife, a member of the community. Someone who decided to offer herself up for public service, and she became the alder woman for the fourth ward, um, extending to various parts of the city. Indeed, as she has run for mayor, she said, "You know what?" I'm based in an affluent community, but I want to serve all of the communities. I'm looking at Chicago, which on paper is the most segregated big city in the United States, and I want to to serve all of Chicago, not just the segregated parts. We welcome to the show um, Alderwoman Sophia King. It's wonderful having you on the show,
5: Alderwoman King. It is my pleasure, uh, Santita. To be here this morning. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Thank
2: you very much. Thank you. I, well, just tell me.
5: <laughs>
2: you have, your plate is so full in life. Um, when, you ran for, when you ran to become the Alderman, I said, wow, Sophia. Okay, because to fully disclose, we've known each other a long time. She's married to someone who I grew up around the corner from. So, so I go back a half a century and then some with her husband. Um, so let's, let's just get that out of the way. That having been said, now you're running for mayor. Why, yeah. what prompted you to run for mayor? I mean, why
5: would you, he on such a task. Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, I think there are a number of reasons, you know, I think I can help obviously. And, you know, I love this city. Uh, but we're at a pivotal point where I think a, in a crisis, quite frankly. And, and, you know, I understand that really more than anyone as a city councilman who, you know, has a perch that's really close to kind of understanding what's going on. But, you know, crime is out of control. Uh, tensions are high. Um, there's so many groups at odds with, with this administration, the teachers, uh, the police. You know, my colleagues are speaking with their feet. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things and we need, and the people of Chicago want and need, um, stability, uh, we're losing institutional knowledge from the executive branch, the legislative branch, uh, the city needs leadership, someone that can bring us together. You know, I've been leading with collaboration over the last six and a half years, bringing us things like, you know, the $15 minimum wage hike, which, you know, I led that effort bringing, uh, Activists and adversaries uh, to the table and and bringing landmark legislation to the city of chicago and and really you know then the rest of the country picked up, and now we understand that you know fifteen dollars isn't even enough, but it brought four hundred thousand mainly black and brown women out of poverty a uh, hundred thousand into a livable wage, uh, so we know we can do things like that if we really bring people to the table and and show them that You know, working and bringing people into a livable wage helps everybody in our city. Um, Also leading the uh, Michael Reese development, uh, one of four striking developments in the city of Chicago. You obviously have the Obama Library, which will be a very striking development, Uh, the 78 Lincoln Yards. Uh, We're the only development that didn't have dissension. Again, we brought uh, people into a room, a lot of stakeholders in and out of the community. Um, found out what the community needed and wanted um, and uh, worked with a developer to uh, have what the New York Times is calling one of the most equitable developments in the country with a $25 million commitment to schools, a 20% uh, commitment to affordable housing on site and a 60% commitment to uh, minority participation, especially African Americans, because uh, it's right in the African-American community. We're calling it Brownsville Lakefront now because of where it's situated. Um, And so, uh, but I also said, you know, it's time that we had a mayor that represented the entire city um, and not just segregated parts of that. And what I mean is that there are a number of candidates who offer, you know, perhaps, um, a candidacy that represents only a segment of Chicago. And Chicago uh, celebrates great diversity. It's one of the great things about the city. We need somebody, you know, who can represent the entire city. Right now, I I represent a microcosm of the city. You know, I represent from downtown, uh, which has, my ward has probably all of, most of the the really nice amenities, whether it's Grant Park or Northerly Island or Soldier Field or uh, Museum Campus. I have five times as much Lakefront because I go from downtown Jackson Street all the way to Hyde Park on 53rd Street. And I have Bronzeville in the middle. Um, so I have some of the, the most uh, under-resourced areas and some of the most resourced areas in the city. I probably have more CHA, HUD Um, buildings, uh, senior buildings, my ward than anyone else. So more affordable housing, uh, more CHA housing. And so I really uh, understand uh, the mechanics and the complexity of how to represent a really diverse uh, ward. But you'll find in my ward, whether it's Downtown or Bronzeville or Hyde Park, trains are flying, things are moving, people are working, there's true equity. Uh, in my development, uh, we've got billions of dollars of development in the fourth ward. And, you know, our floor for minority participation, unlike the cities, is really, you know, above 40%. I had a um, $40 million uh, building, Bronzeville. Or, or 4400 Grove, where Bronzeville Winery is located, uh, that you know almost had 89% of, of minority participation, 69% African American. You know, I've had a bank that had 100% participation for African American. You know, a couple other buildings that had over 40% minority participation, while the while the city's floor is is 26, uh, and and they barely hit that sometimes, you know, I understand how to bring true equity. Um, and like I said, all boats are rising. So we need somebody who really understands, you know, how to represent the entire city, uh, that our diversity, is our strength, that we need to uplift that diversity, um, bring us together as a city. You know, I'd be remiss not to recognize what a difficult time it has been to lead, you know, with social unrest with um um you know a global pandemic, this is one of the the hardest times to lead and so you know I understand what the current mayor is is up against. what I think she failed to do um and and I tried to work with her to 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 help uh in the beginning. I was rooting for her we i, I a lot of people were um you know trying to work with her but but what she missed is the Ability to bring us all together in a crisis. You know, when you're in a crisis, when your family, when someone dies in your family, when things go wrong, you come together and you, you stop, you know, uh, sweating the small stuff. She didn't do that. She continues to fight and continues over every little thing. And as a public servant um, who are serving people, it gets tiring. And like I said, you've got 16 of my colleagues who are deciding to leave. Uh, With that instability, we need somebody that understands, you know, how the sausage is made, who's, you know, has a track record of really bringing people together and getting things done. And that's what I'm offering. I'm offering, you know, my help to be able to bring us together as a city during this time uh, to move us together uh, as one in order to get things done.
2: Let me ask you this. Why is it important to you to have these mixed income, uh, mixed communities, not just diversity in terms of phenotype and color, but you believe that it's important to have different people of different income levels in a community? Um, And everybody doesn't feel that way. I mean, because you've done this economic development uh, without displacing people, I mean that certainly yeah. as people have been displaced, that is not what you've been doing, and that I think that's mm-hmm. that's fascinating. Did you speak to that?
5: Yeah, I think I think there's a way where you know a, a gentrification means different things to different people. Um, sometimes negative, sometimes positive. Yeah, I've been trying to find the positives of that. Meaning, how can people? Age in place, how can our elders and people who have lived in a community during economic downturns and and let's just say bad times quote unquote still be in those communities when all of the amenities and economic um, upsides come to that community and we can do that you have to be strategic about it because you know uh, some of those things that segregated us that that uh, separated us like redlining and other economic tools were done intentionally. So inequity did not happen in a vacuum. We have to be equal and intentional to match that inequity that that, that was done on purpose. Uh, so we have to think ahead and be strategic. There are ways where we can have those economic upturns in communities and not displace people in the communities. And that's what we were doing and, and we're doing with, with Michael Reese and why it's being heralded as one of the most equitable developments in, in the country. We can still bring, you know, my, my ward, like I said, has some of the most um, um, CHA buildings, plan for transformation sites. uh, Also, Um, you know, under-resourced parts of the city. But yet, you know, we still are saying there's a need for affordable housing. We're not saying not in our backyard. There's room for everything. I think the mixture uh, brings a vitality and um, a thriving uh, neighborhood where everyone can lead. Don't get me wrong. There are parts of our our city that are um, culturally... Um, more monolithic, uh, and that's okay too. I think that where it becomes a problem is when you know people are purposely kept out of communities. But there are communities that are culturally rich with you know a particular um, uh, demographic. Where it's beautiful to go to those parts of the city and see those folks. I want them to thrive, and I want them to have thriving neighborhoods. But it's also good to have you know, that economic mixture where you have people, um, you know, who aren't making uh, enough or a lot of money living with folks who are. I've seen those mixtures uh, do well as well. And I have lots of parts of our communities uh, where that's the case, Um, you know, whether it's in Grand Boulevard or whether you know, it's in Douglas, or whether it's in in um, North Kenwood, Oakland, where you've got sure. you know mixtures of CHA homes as well as um, you know market housing and affordable housing, and and those are some thriving uh, parts of my my ward, um, and I think we can you know bring uh, those types of of efforts to other parts of the city where we don't see that, where we see a lot of vacant lots, where we don't have thriving um, uh, businesses um, and communities. And, and, you know, I, again, am uniquely positioned to bring those types of developments to other parts of the city uh, because we're doing it, you know, here right now um, in, in the fourth ward. And like I said, which is, is kind of a microcosm of the city with uh, its diversity, uh, economically and demographically. Well, oh, it's an
2: absolute microcosm. I've got about five minutes left here and I want to give you the runway to talk about this because everyone, the corporate media has shaped the campaign and they have made crime number one. And yet you have an intersectional approach. You're looking at you're like, wait a minute, we've got to look at all, we've got to look at these issues holistically because you've con- you made a connection between the lack of educational opportunities as we've closed so many of our public schools, as we have restricted yes. access to vocational education um, and mm-hmm. and the like. I'd like for you to speak to a holistic approach to sure. not just ending crime, but establishing peace and prosperity
5: yeah. for Chicagoans. <laughs> That's a that's a great way to put it. So, you know, I, I because of again, my experience, you know, um, I have a holistic approach to to safety. Um one of them is, you know, we've we've got uh folks who are talking about defunding police, we've got folks who are talking about law and order. Uh, most of us understand that we can uplift our police and hold them accountable, which I talk about, that we can have safety and justice, that our police are part of our communities. And I went to a Noble bowling event. Noble is a national organization for black mm-hmm. law enforcement. No one had uniforms on. They, they look like us. They're part of our community. They are, you know, they are and they should be treated as such. Are there bad police? Certainly, and we need to hold them accountable. Um, but I think police are part of our plan. So we have a plan to bring police into all of our communities. It's something we can do, do one uh, by moving to a four-day on, three-day off, giving police the rest, the mental health care that they need as well to serve us, to serve us uh, better. Um, and we can do that right away by going from we currently do three shifts, uh, but moving to two shifts. So. In a three-shift district, if you've got 90 officers in your district, you would have 30 officers on each shift. For two shifts, you would have 45 officers. So that's up to 50% more presence in all of our communities at once. Also want to bring back retired officers uh, during surge opportunities. Uh, Places like New York have 4,000. Retired officers—they already have benefits. They already have, you know, their pension, um, health care. and so we can bring them back part time to serve first as detectives because we have some of the lowest clearance rates in the country, unfortunately, and how we solve crime, um, especially in areas um, in African American and Latino areas, crimes are solved even even less. Um, So we need to bring them back. But we can also put them on our CTA platforms. We can also have them, you know, working festivals so we don't pull our officers out. So we could do that from a police standpoint right away. More officers in all of our communities, especially the ones that aren't being served. We know that uh, statistics um, as well as, um, uh, university of Chicago and other research shows that, that officers are not in the places where crime is the highest. That is really unfortunate, but police aren't the only solution. We also have to look at violence intervention, violence intervention. Our plan calls for putting hundreds of millions of dollars into violence intervention, um, so that we can offer, uh, folks another pathway. This is something that we're calling targeted intervention. Places like Boston have done this successfully, where we locate folks who are likely uh, to be involved in crime and offer them a better way um, through incentives, uh, monetary incentives, $600 a week uh, to come off the streets. And that comes with responsibilities, job training. Trauma-informed care, wraparound services from the community. So, using our clergy to sit down with these folks, using our commanders and other folks, to, and the community to say, "Listen, here's a better way." Also, our t- alternative responses to police. I've got about 20 our seconds. Our uh-huh. to police are nine-one-one are for your homeless insecurities, for your mental health insecurities. We need to do that. And then, as you said, educational approach. We have so many folks who are disengaged K through 12. We should be engaging our kids. We should also bring back the trades and tech to our schools, 11th and 12th grade. Uh, we took them out, we took them to the sur- suburbs on purpose. We need to leverage the fifth floor to bring trades and tech back to our schools in a meaningful way so that folks know that they can prepare for jobs that make a lot of money um, that can make sure that they are livable wages um, and earn money uh, other ways other than going to college. So that's kind of the comprehensive approach, engaging our youth, making sure that they are engaged, uh, making sure, you know, that we have a comprehensive approach to safety um, and through that, we can, you know, we'll see and put a dent in this, this issue around safety. So we're not back here in 20 years. Um, well,
2: I've got a heartbreak that I'm, I'm smashing through because I think that you, you're offering so much. What I'm going to do um, before the election, I'm going to convene as many of you as I can and give you just 10 minutes just to say what you need to say. Uh, because I think people need to hear that. more about this. I mean, cause you're not doing lock them up. You were saying, wait a minute, let's bring them in. Yeah. We need to hear more of that. No, thank you for that. And you know, and just, um, no, no, I thank you. No, I'm going to have you back. I'm just going to have to, Robin uh, Robin Robinson's got
5: <laughs> to wedge in. <laughs> we're
2: going to yeah, have to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I want you getting us all
5: in and, and allowing us, I think it's super important who uh, we choose as the next mayor. And like I said, I I am uniquely situated as somebody who understands how the sausage is made. We don't need somebody flying the plane and building it at the same time. Again, we did that. It's not working out well for us. Uh, Again, we don't need the divisiveness, the folks who are on the fringe, those fringe messages, defunding the police, law and order. Those are a small percentage of folks who are controlling our narrative. We cannot continue to allow that to happen. And so I'm offering uh, the experience and um, the, somebody who's tried and true. So punch to February 28th uh, for Sophia King.
2: All woman Sophia King, everybody. She'll be back before you get a chance to vote for the final day on February 28th, everybody. It's the voting season to get on out there and vote. Thank you, all woman King. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank Coming you. up, Dr. Willie Wilson, blessings to you. Back in just a moment.
1: We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, okay. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. We
0: this can. is The Santita Jackson Show.
2: Everybody. welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santiti Jackson Show. It is election season. Everybody, on Tuesday, we will elect a new mayor, or we will be heading toward a runoff. But one of the top tier someone who sparked a lot of conversation down through the years and. He was campaigning for Lori Light four years ago, and now he's a top-tier candidate himself. You cannot make this up. And you, of course, down through the years, we've seen him praising God on his wonderful um, musical show, Sing Station, wonderful gospel show, kind of picking up where uh, Jubilee Showcase left off. And we've seen him giving out gas cards and grocery cards, making sure that the most basic needs of those vulnerable people are met. And there have been questions about that. Uh, But people have not questioned uh, the help that it has given them. Um, Indeed, someone who's been very engaged in our community and who's really uh, very important to the community. We're pleased and honored to have Dr. Willie Wilson on with us today. How are you, Dr. Wilson? And just let let me get right to it. Why are you running? You're a multimillionaire. You're an entrepreneur. You're Dr. Willie Wilson. You could be resting on your laurels after you have worked your way out of Louisiana all the way to the, to the top of Chicago. Why are you running for mayor?
0: Well, you know, it, it, first of all, number one is just crime. Number two is taxes. And and the rest of it, you might as well just let folks go there and take, you can get crime taken care of first and then the uh, taxes. But them um, got out of line. Uh, the person that we supported years ago uh, just did not work out. And, and uh, for me to set back, and I was part of, I believe, made a contribution to that person being in office today. I needed to help go out and try to straighten it out. Uh, and then, another the one, other reason too, is that um, I'm not running for uh, to put any money in my pocket or showing favoritism to a particular uh, party, whether you're Republican or Democratic. I'm for the people. I'm not running for a paycheck. I'm doing it free of charge. Uh, some of these Alderman and mayor people are still running for office while they're still getting getting paid, while people can't even go to the store and buy uh, buy eggs. You know, I'm just not that way. Uh, you know, so I got to get out and try to do something about it uh, and help myself and, uh, and, and try to deal with it. I have no other interest in Chicago but to help Chicago citizens.
2: Talking with Dr. Willie Wilson, 773 seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. but, you know, we want to get as much information from him about this run as we can, because he sparked a lot of conversation. Um, of course, we, the corporate media, have, they have shed light. They have said, look, crime is what is most important. To, uh, to Chicagoans, and yet many black Chicagoans say, well, wait a minute, we've always lived with crime. Now it's hit white areas, and so it's become the number one concern, but we're concerned about education. Uh, we're concerned that the vocational programs have been taken from our schools so the pathway to these solidly middle-class jobs. Our children don't have access to them. Um, and on and on it has gone. So I need you to talk to me about the role of crime In your campaign, indeed, you've been talking about some things that you'd like to see happen on the police department, uh, uh, eliminating the entrance exam to, you know, to bring more people onto the police force. Um, But uh, so if you could speak to if you could speak to that, because um, Mm -hmm. you want to expand the police. And um, and that makes many people who are part of your base a little anxious.
0: Well look, first of all, uh like Jackson, I I would never ever turn my back against a police officer. I would never ever do that. Those are people from our own community. Whether you white, black, Latin, Asian, et cetera. Et cetera. Those are people like they're their their fathers, their mothers, you know, their brothers, their sisters. They're from our own community. You know, they're from diverse communities. Chicago is a diverse city with a lot of citizens. We have to now begin to bring us together but not separate us. Uh, and, and, and so now everybody has to be held accountable whether you're a regular citizen or a police officer, I think everybody knows that. <clears throat> but for a person to, uh, bang, to get out of line and law and order, then what do you got? You got nothing. So my my suggestion would be I would come in we'll do, right now we got one superintendent of police. I'd say we need to bring in four. And we divide, divide the city into four different segment parts. Then we take from there... And, 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 and hold them accountable, they hold a monthly cap meeting with the community, with the politicians, with the police department, and you can get to the community much more closer that way. you got to take some of these rules and regulations off them, that you cannot chase a person by foot the car if they run, <clears throat> because that's encouraging other people to continue to to commit crime. You know, we we got to take those rules and uh, uh, use common sense. Approach in this whole situation. We got to give policemen their their off days. You know, we got to make sure they're paid real well. We got to make sure they're 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 heroes. They're the one that protects us. They're the one when we get in trouble. We dial nine one one. You know, they're they're our people. We would take off the restriction that that the police officer. um you know, got fired when they didn't take uh, the uh, the COVID uh, uh, shot. we we'll Would take that off, let them go home if they got the uh, COVID and and test negative, and then come back to work. These people go out every day and risk their lives for all of us. You know, then we, we'll take we'll take them making sure that we have uh, uh, fitness and healthness screaming that every week when when you come in at. At the end of the week, they can go and see a doctor, get a physical checkup, and make sure that we can kind of cut down the suicide situation. You know, making sure that is is, is, is is taken care of. They need to know that we got their back covered for them to get out and do a job. Right now, as a police officer goes out and, and can't do a job and, and, and somebody get hurt, they're afraid that... Um, that they're gonna get locked up themselves, and they got they got livelihood, they got their family to take care of. How can you do your job when when you do, when you're afraid? so we have to revisit that whole situation. That's why we would have these cap meeting force superintendent so we can open up the line, we can communicate together and get this thing done and under control. But everybody must be held accountable for and 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 that is how i really really see it. We' always would have the community involved and the police involved and the politician involved so we can get a hold of this whole situation that nobody else can go down here and, and commit a crime and go down and kill somebody else. And then the next month they do the same thing and they never get caught. You know?
1: Well,
2: you know, I ask you, I asked you, well, you know, Dr. Wilson, I'm, I'm following this line of questioning mindful. And mindful of this fact and really trying to be sensitive to the fact that you've experienced a personal tragedy that, you know, my own parents said, you know, no parent ever wants to have to face that is the death of a child when your own son was killed in 1995. And certainly our prayers and thoughts stay with you and your family because it's something that you live with every single day. And certainly the police, we call the police more than anyone that is in the black community we do. And yet when they arrive, we are frightened to death. We want the police to have our backs. We just don't want them on our backs. I think the fear is while you want um, the police to be protected, you start too often. We feel that we need protection from the police because remember, we've had home and square here, which was modeled on CIA black sites. Uh, you do have internet, you do have George Floyd, you do have, you do have all of these cases in which police have routinely overstepped, um, decency, the lines of decency. And they have, I mean, and is there a way for the social contract that exists between the police and the citizens? We've seen what you're going to do for the police. Now talk to us about what you will do for citizens so that we can feel protected because the police can't have their authority,
1: <laughs>
2: right? Yeah. Can you, can you give, us, give us your perspective. Give us look at from, from this side, uh, from this side of the line. Help me with that.
0: Well, first of all, you, you got to understand that the person that you're talking to now, I'm from the days of your father, from Jim Crow days, all right? Mm-hmm. I, I've been through the era of the civil rights, you know, uh, these young men and young ladies out here that running other running for office and other one not running for office they can talk about them so they from what they heard or read about I have experienced it, yeah, so it's a big difference there all right look w what what is going on here? we have to make sure that we are, we invest into the root of the problem. I've always have said it is is that from a economic situation that with those particular areas, those people must have you pass from, let's say you pass from the first grade all the way to the 12th grade, that they, they must have trade before you can pass from one grade to the next grade. You you must have that in order to establish it. There's about, I don't know, 12 or 15 areas that is um, where we get all these crimes and things like that at. Uh, I, I'm the one that, I'm the only person that I know of that invest millions and millions of dollars into uh, into our community that I know of while other people talk about it, but giving themselves raises, you know the alderman the mayor, and things like that, you know giving themselves raises. I'm gone going i've been I've been giving the last 30, 40 to fifty years or thirty five years we've been giving away over sixty to seven million dollars to the community. This ain't just started. You know, but not only do we do it in Chicago, we do it around the country as well, and you know, all even overseas, we do that all right so so my my record speak for itself. everything that I talk about is on internet uh is documented, it's seen uh just because I'm running for office, people are taken in mm-hmm. I make another big deal out of it the homeless people out there, you got, you got to put the infrastructure in place for that. And you start by school, you start by making sure that there's equal opportunity and equality for every citizen. And you let it reflect the taxpayer base out here and then get the training and everything in in, in place so that people can, all of us, all of us including myself can take and expand knowing what to do. Uh, give you a prime example. If you work in construction out here, you you should be able to not just wave a flag on it and drive strap it by making twenty dollars an hour, but you can drive the heavy duty equipment if you train and make two hundred dollars an hour or a hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> that is that is economic right there. All right. But you you can also take the CTA, let's use that, for example. You can put the school, trade school in the CTA. And let people build those buses and, and the mechanic work for those who want to do it, and come out there and develop a trade with those buses, and then get a good job doing mechanic work, or end up getting a contract. That is empowerment. You can take the Chicago Housing Authority, where people do landscaping, people lay tile in, in the ceiling. You know, you could take that and put a a trade school within that infrastructure that already exists. And make sure to happen. But the thing that you have to watch for, have to be careful with this here, is that all of our young men and young ladies, regardless of what color you happen to be, you know, because I got to tell you something, Uh, I'm I'm sick of this thing as we talk about the the racist situation between the, the, the people. We have to get in and stop talking about it and do something about it. That's why I help everybody, all right? So, so, so taking, taking these issues here that we have right now today, we must take them, prepare them to do business also in the state of Illinois around the United States plus international too. International business is important. All right. They must be a small business must be able to get a piece of that pie as well. International. So when, when a particular mayor leave out of office, or don't get you know or don't get voted back in there again then you ain't got to close down your business you have other businesses outside of Chicago that you feel can survive I know how to do that I'm a business person nobody else in that in this group is a business person have don't have a not one clue how to how to take and deal with it. they can talk it but they are already in city hall or city council, whatever it may be. And they just talk that talk. Got no experience. And they keep raising taxes on us.
2: And, so, you know, and people wow, are looking for. Uh, well, you know, I mean, and you approved, uh, just coming. From, I mean, your own journey shows uh, just amazing grit and. Uh, You know, and just and what having the opportunity, the opportunity to expand economically can do because many entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs or uh, just first people who would have access to the money in this city don't have access to it because the application process is onerous. And that's just on and on it goes. But I have to go back to. The police because that has been the orientation dr wilson of this campaign and we need economic development and we need to hear more from you as you talk about economic development because you're among the few who've talked to us about getting our kids having a pathway, a bridge between school and, and jobs for our children. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause there was a time when we used to be able to get vocational education and go get a job and get it, you know, but the unions have blocked us too. And that's something else we mm-hmm. got to deal with. But you did make a comment that people um that took a lot of your supporters were taken aback. And I know cause they would call me and they would send me notes. When you said you want to hunt down the uh, the criminals like rabbits Certainly, we do not want to see crime in our neighborhoods. We don't want to see it. Uh, we don't want to be the victims of it. But we don't want the police to have open season on us either. So my question is, while we're protecting the police and when they make mistakes, they shouldn't have to, you know, you're saying that, look, if they make a the mistake, they need to be forgiven. But when they are willfully in error, that is when that is the day when you have a Laquan McDonald, mm-hmm. um, you have a John Birch, I mean, because that's part of our history too. What, wh- I mean, wh- how, what, what are the checks on the police that you would institute?
0: Well, let me, let me first, before I answer quite clear this up for you here. Here's what I said. <clears throat> that anybody who kills another person and who Go down next week or next month and kill another person or rape a person or take them, do them like they did. My one particular son killed him, almost killed all four of my kids. All right. Mm-hmm. And but the next door neighbor down the street, these people are still walking around and never getting caught. I said you should hunt them down like a rabbit. You're caught. And I still meant that. Seriously. You know, uh-huh. so, so 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 I want to put it in right content here. Those sure. people who kills another person, those persons who harm an innocent person out here, those parents out there gotta go like I did to the cemetery and watch the loved one go down into the grave and didn't do nothing. All right, and and, and, and then so so we have to take then do that. Now the record shows is that. I I care about the community. It, I don't even have to really necessarily talk on that much. I, I mean look, I we, we give a hundred percent of every penny away. So we gotta protect our police officer, we gotta protect the community, everybody had to be held accountable. But ain't no way I'm gonna back up off of supporting our police officer. That just ain't gonna happen. You know. back.
2: Oh no no no! I'm not, and certainly I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you, in addition to, because this is, you know, as you know better than anyone, in politics, like in business and in life, it's a it's a game of addition, not subtraction, right? Unless it's sin, of course. What you want to do okay. is find out. You've told me what you're going to do to really to to protect the police. Their suicide rates, rates of domestic violence, the personal problems that they have. are are profound, and they need help. There's no question about that, but so do people. Um, People need need wraparound services. Uh, People don't necessarily need police intervention. They might need a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker on site. And we certainly need to know that we will not have to deal with blue flu, which is what we had to deal with behind George Floyd, because police said, well, look, you know, I put my neck on a guy, choked him to death nine and a half minutes, and... You know, we want, we need that protection too. And I want to give you the opportunity to speak to that because absolutely our police need to be protected. And absolutely so do the citizens. How do we, how do we protect citizens as we seek to protect police? I've got a couple of minutes. And wow. if you don't mind, could you stay with me just for a couple of minutes on Facebook Live just to, so that I can give you a chance to say even more. But please, you've got the last two minutes of the show
0: yeah yeah well we we'll protect the community like we always do protect the community now when nobody else is there. I'm there, you know we'll expand economic development and 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 to those communities economic empowerment to those communities, and we won't talk about it. We won't take and put money in our pocket and try to benefit unless we take we take and help the community first. You have to make sure you open up those mental health institutes you got to empower your churches, you can have mental health institute program within those, those churches. You can have training within those churches and empower those communities. You can come together every month and talk to the police officer and, and have CAP meeting the community and make sure we work on this thing together. One person cannot solve the problem by itself. You know, everybody must be held accountable. Whether you're a police officer yeah, uh, an individual must be held accountable them, them themselves to do this whole thing, it's about communication. <clears throat> it's about talking together and pulling up together, working at it we'll, we'll make all those efforts We'll get input from the community as well as as putting in things like we put in place now for business, a worldwide business that we put in places. If I can do it and in ran from home at age uh thirteen seventh grade education, be where I at today, we can do this right here now.
2: Well we've been talking with Dr. Willie Wilson. It's electwillywilson.com. Electwilly Wilson dot com. Dr. Wilson, can you stay with me for a couple more minutes? Cause I want you to be able to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. And you know what? If you all want to, call in very quickly, 773 As we are absent from the WCPT 820 Airways, we're not absent from you. Stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show on YouTube and... That channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends page. And I'm also streaming on Reverend Jesse Jackson's page. We're talking with Dr. Willie Wilson about his mm-hmm. plans for Chicago. He's talked about economic development, mm-hmm. he's talked about the police, he's talked about mm-hmm. what, he, uh, what he really wants to do for Chicago. And I want to know what your thoughts are, everybody. Uh, I want to know what your thoughts are. And we're so grateful that someone who could be sitting down and really in, really living life in a very different way. You've decided to uh, serve the people. I say that about older, the women Sophia King as well. I mean, these are people who really don't have to do this, and yet they feel that they can't afford not to do it. And so we thank you, Dr. Wilson, for every gas card, every grocery card you've given out. It's you've served people in need, and we thank God for you. Stay right here, everybody. i going to ask some more questions of Dr. Willie Wilson. See you in the morning.